A reading from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible is the story of God drawing near to his people. In the beginning, of course, there was no separation. There was no distance between God and man. He walked in the garden with them. He talked with them as a friend. He gave them gifts. 
and they received them with humble and holy gratitude. There was between God and man only trust and love. God was close to humanity as a perfect father to his beloved children, as a skilled craftsman to his masterpiece. When Adam and Eve believed the lie, when they believed that God didn't really love them, that he was keeping something good from them, that they'd be better off on their own as their own gods, when they believed that lie, there was a wedge that was driven between God and man, between us and God. Adam and Eve said, Behold, we are not the servants of the Lord. They said, Let it not be to us according to your word. And a gulf was created between heaven and earth. But it didn't just create distance and alienation between God and man, like when you just avoid somebody or don't talk to them when you don't like them. Worse, it bred enmity and it stirred rebellion. And worst of all, it introduced us to the grave. So that even from the start, as little tiny babies, you and I were God's enemies, turned against him, and bound for eternal death. That is an ugly, ugly beginning. But it is not the end. One of the most important things that you need to know about God is that he's a God who makes and keeps promises. And so, right away, before he even turned to deal out the consequences for Adam and Eve's sin, he made a promise. Though they had now become his enemies, he would draw near to them again. And then, nearer still. And finally, so near that he himself could stand in their place and suffer in their place and reconcile them to himself once more. He didn't take the easy option, the option of just letting us have our way, of just letting us go off on our own. He didn't grow cold, and he didn't avoid us. And he didn't unleash his righteous judgment on us the moment it was warranted. Instead, what God did was he kept talking. He kept proclaiming his love louder and louder and clearer and clearer until his very word itself took on human flesh. Along the way, his plan for salvation, God's plan for our salvation, is not the kind of plan that you and I would have chosen. If it were up to you and me, we would never have chosen, for instance, such sinful, weak people as Abraham and Sarah or Isaac and Jacob and Judah to be the royal family. We would never have chosen slavery in Egypt or wandering in the wilderness or exile to Babylon for God's people Israel. We would never have chosen judges like Samson or kings, even kings like David and Solomon. We would never have chosen those people to establish the throne of God's kingdom. Hearing the story, you may have reason, you may be tempted to doubt God's judgment, that he would rely on such feeble means to get things done. You may scoff at his ridiculous plan and all of the scandalous episodes in the history of God's people. That's what happens when you read the Old Testament too closely. It's a scandal to us because it's such an outrageous tale that God would use such means, that he would use such people and such episodes, such events to save us. You may be tempted to doubt God's judgment, but our reaction should really be the opposite. It's our own judgment that should be in question. If it were up to you and me, 
we would have ruined the story of salvation long, long ago. We wouldn't have chosen the weak and the frail. We wouldn't have chosen sinners or failures. We would never have chosen a cross or death or burial. We would have chosen the rich and the powerful and the successful, the honorable and the well-liked and the full of life. We would never have chosen suffering for ourselves. You can hear people say it. How can a good God allow such suffering? It's an honest question because if it were up to you and me, if we were in the place of God, we would never let it happen. We'd be like Peter when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer and die and Peter objected, never, Lord. That's not the way you save us. Peter didn't understand, as we don't understand by nature, that our sin runs so deep that our only hope of rescue was by the suffering and death of Jesus. We would never choose suffering for ourselves because we would rather make light of our own flesh and our own sinful desires rather than have them be crucified with Jesus. God chooses to use what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. He uses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He uses what is low and despised and even things that are not, as Paul puts it, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that in him we might have redemption, so that by keeping his promises, he can draw near to us. That is another thing that you and I would never have done. We would never have persisted in drawing nearer and nearer to people who are all the time trying to pull away from him and stay at a distance. We would never have loved our enemies. But that's the story all along the way. Like in Deuteronomy, when the people of Israel were out to, about to enter the promised land and God gave them his word and his name and he reminded them, he said, what great nation is there on earth that has a God so near to it as your God is to you, whenever you call upon him. Think about that. He's not a God at a distance, not some divine watchmaker who wound up the world just to see it tick away. He's a God who put his name on a people, who put his name on you, who was close enough to hear them whenever they called and to act whatever their need. He was as close to them as a mother is to her infant who was pulled even from her sleep, even from the deepest sleep, when she hears the slightest sound of her baby's cry. And he was closer still, for the Lord your God never slumbers nor sleeps. But he always wakes, always waits to hear you call for him. King David knew how strange it was to have a God so near to him. When the Ark of the Covenant was to make its way to Jerusalem, his response was like that we heard of Elizabeth in the gospel lesson. How is it that the ark of the Lord should come to me, he said. And he leapt and he danced just like John did in Elizabeth's womb as the mercy seat of God came into the holy city. David wondered in the psalm that we read today, he wondered, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he prayed that God would come and inhabit that temple and he asked, Will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heavens and the highest heaven cannot contain you. And yet God had promised to be there in that place, to be here in this place. It's not just the majesty of God's divinity that made these patriarchs 
and men of old wonder, marvel, that he should draw so near. It was their own unholiness, their uncleanness, the same reasons that Isaiah was undone as he stood in the throne room of God. He said, you remember this, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. The hardest thing to believe is that when God draws near to us, he draws near to help and not to hurt, to save and not to destroy. And so today, Elizabeth marvels and pronounces this blessing on Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is Mary, because she believed what was spoken to her, that the Lord would draw near to her for salvation and mercy. Elizabeth marvels that the mother of her Lord should come to her. How much more marvelous then for Mary, that the Lord himself should take on flesh in her very womb. And think, just think, how marvelous it is for you and me as well. Not just that divinity should take on humanity, not just that God should make his dwelling among men, but that he should dwell among sinful men. That he should take in himself our corrupted flesh and bear in that flesh all our sins and all our sorrows, all of the pain that we cause and all of the pain that we suffer. That he should present himself weak and defenseless and utterly dependent. That he should be even nearer to us than a mother is to her baby. That he should be so near as a baby is to his mother. That he should offer himself so humbly and graciously that Simeon in the temple, seeing Jesus, seeing the Lord himself, is not terrified, but instead rejoices. My eyes have seen my salvation. The story of God drawing near is the story of our salvation. But where does that leave you and me today? Paul puts it this way. The time has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us even now than when we first believed. You've heard it often in church over the last month that the day of the Lord is at hand, that the return of Christ in glory and with salvation will come upon us suddenly, unexpectedly, like the cries of that newborn infant that broke the quiet darkness of Bethlehem. And so that means that now, now is the time to wake from sleep. Now is the time for repentance, to put off the darkness and live in the light of Christ. Now is the time for us to believe that the promise of forgiveness, life, and salvation is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all who have wandered away, for all the enemies of God. Because now is the time that God draws so near as to put his very own name on you in the waters of holy baptism. So near as to put his word in your ears, his flesh and blood on your tongue, and his very own spirit in your heart. Who are we that such a God of love should draw so near to us? May your hearts always be set to receive his word and rejoice in his promises, responding like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. Blessed are you who believe that there will be a fulfillment of the things spoken to you by the Lord. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.